Roe v. Wade. Abortion in the Bible is what we're going to be talking about today at this session. Good to have you. 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time, the Early Bird Podcast Sessions. Stefan Maier with you at itsouls.com, the website. Please consider liking, sharing, rumble, comment, all that kind of good stuff. Subscribe, follow, everything that's, uh, you know, available uh, for uh, helping this kind of content reach further, reach farther. Roe v. Wade, abortion and the Bible. You know, there's been a lot of discussion these days regarding Roe v. Wade and abortion. The devil does what the devil does, and God does what God does. And we, agents of free will, independent and accountable, make decisions in life, right? We choose. We choose what's right or we choose what's wrong. And we all know that the devil loves to call things that are evil good, and things that are good evil. Roe v. Wade, abortion, and the Bible. I think we need to talk about this once again, and we will be visiting our friends over at apologeticspress.org. At times we do that. We've been doing that. Our friends over at apologeticspress.org are a trustable ministry. They do diligence. The work they set forth is an educated one, and it is one that certainly holds much evidence to what is good and refuting what is evil. And one of the articles we'll be reading together is called Abortion and the Bible from our brother Dave Miller. And together, of course, while reading, as so the custom goes, we shall share our studies and our thoughts as well. And this will make the session for this day. If you'd like the, uh, to find out what we do during the week, by all means, check out the uh, itinerary of in, the, in the show notes. And uh, from there, you'll be able to decide what it is you'd like to do. Hopefully, you'll like to follow along with us and go throughout the week. You'll have to apologize. I'll have to apologize. You'll have to apologize. You'll have to be sorry. (laughs) Uh, You'll have to forgive me. I apologize. I was not able to be here for yesterday's session, which was Wednesday and Wednesdays is Bible studies, but... uh, Sometimes, you know, local stuff uh, takes priority in a great many ways, so had to be somewhere else. Couldn't make it. But in consistency, we're usually here Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. Check out the itinerary to see if there is anything in there that you'd like to follow along with. Abortion in the Bible is the article from our friends over at ApologeticsPress.org. And we're going to set that up on the screen and start to read. It's a lengthy article because there's much information there to look into. And, uh, yeah, that's what we want to do. That's what's going on. Let me check something here. Why did that happen? There we go. Okay. Abortion and the Bible. There's an image of a pregnant woman, or more accurately, a woman with child. Some take offense at the word pregnant, but uh, we have a woman with child. And the article in brief, as it so states, America is in the throes of a frenzied uproar over abortion. This moral issue has been transformed into a political issue. Nevertheless, there is a God in heaven who has already spoken on the matter. Indeed, the Bible speaks definitively and decisively 
about abortion, and it certainly does. From 2015 to 2019, in the United States of America, some 890,000 children were butchered annually by abortion doctors. Since 1973, when the Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand, over 63 million babies have been slaughtered in America. Every year, an estimated 73 million abortions occur worldwide. That, of course, reaching me, myself, over here in Canada. And in Canada, we have no law against abortion. We even abort children who have been born out of the mother's womb. We allow them, him or her, to die on the delivery table. That is a witnessed and recorded uh, authorized uh, practice in this country. There is no limits. And if you've looked at our leaders, our current one most specifically, you'll know why that is the case. Even to contemplate how many children have been forever eliminated from the earth since 1973 due to abortion, never having seen the light of day or been permitted to live out of their lives is heartrending. And the slaughter continues. Some encouraging signs have surfaced recently. The most prominent one being the reversal by the U.S. Supreme Court of the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling. That is, of course, at a federal level, meaning the states now independently can have option to govern as they see fit through the policies of the people voted uh, on how they would um, authorize or ban abortion practices. While this decision is monumental, the ruling does not eliminate abortion in America but simply places the matter back into the hands of the states from whence it never should have been wrested. Sadly, even this laudable attempt to turn back the tide of moral degradation uh, that has swept over the nation seems too little too late. It certainly does. There's so much damage that has been done. I mean, you know. Anyway, nothing can be done for the myriad of little ones whose lives have already been extinguished, right? There's an ocean of them. Seemingly, only a massive moral awakening will alter the path toward destruction that the nation is following. That's just spot on. Indeed, many in America consider abortion to be an acceptable option. What would one expect, right? Three generations of Americans have been saturated with the, quote, politically correct woke agenda of the social liberals for decades. And we here over in Canada, of course, are about a decade ahead of America regarding its moral degradation. We are no longer an identified nation. There is no longer an identity to Canada. It's a fallen nation, currently oppressed. How so? How bad does it get? Well, let me give you a bit of insight. On uh, July 1st is the celebration of Dominion Day, Canada Day. And you're not even allowed to fly the Canadian flag in certain locations of the country where government powers are enforced. For instance, you can't go to Ottawa and celebrate Canada Day with Canadian flags. Yeah, that's how bad it is. That's where we're at. 
So anyways, back to the article. Three generations of Americans have been saturated with the politically correct woke agenda of the social liberals for decades. By means of the power of the law, the 1973 court made abortion legitimate nationwide for nearly 50 years. Many in the medical profession followed suit, lending prestige and sanction to the practice of abortion. In direct violation, of course, of the Hippocratic Oath. I'm a French guy speaking English words, so please don't crucify me if I'm not pronouncing Hippocratic properly. I see hippo in there like hippopotamus, and I see cratic like democratic, so hippocratic must be a big hippopotamus involved with democracy somehow. But anyways, yeah, in direct violation of the Hippocratic Oath. And of course, I'm kind of playing my own little humorous joke there, but they're not supposed to murder human beings is the idea of the oath, I think. American uh, American civilization has undergone a sweeping cultural revolution during the last half century. The American moral framework has been restructured, and this country's religious roots and spiritual perspective have been largely brushed aside. Yep, again, America crawling very closely to we here in Canada. And I don't even know why I call it Canada, only for geographical description now. Uh, As far as Canada is concerned, uh, the way of life and our chartered rights and all that, it's gone. It's done. We're just a nebulous floating uh, plateau of, of, of woke leftism and destruction oppression, tyranny, all that kind of stuff. The founding fathers and the bulk of the American population of the first 150 years of our national existence based their beliefs and practices on the Christian worldview. And that's where, of course, we prospered in the land of milk and honey. Hence, they generally opposed what has become commonplace in America today, including gambling, in other words, the lottery, horse racing, casinos, etc., divorce, homosexuality, un- uh, uh, unwed pregnancy, transgenderism, and pornography in movies and magazines. Uh, yeah, the be- these behaviors simply would not have been tolerated by most of American society from the beginning up to World War II. But the moral and religious underpinnings of our nation have experienced catastrophic erosion. The widespread practice of abortion is simply one sign among many of this culture-wide shift. But there is still a God in heaven. No matter what we, uh, the ebb and flow of culture, which of course repeats history time and time again, the spiral downwards and downwards and downwards, there's still a God in heaven, the omnipotent, omniscient creator of the universe. He has communicated to the human race in the Bible, and he has stated that one day he will call all human beings who have ever lived to give account and he will judge them on the basis of their behavior on earth. Therefore, every single person is responsible for carefully studying God's word, determining how he wants us to behave, of course, and then complying with those directives. It's that simple, and it's that certain. Regarding abortion, have most Americans heard the biblical viewpoint? Do they even care how God feels about abortion? Are they interested in investing his investigating his view on the matter? After all, the Bible does, in fact, speak decisively about abortion. You know, sadly, when I was stateside, I went to, quote-unquote, Christian colleges and universities and sat in classes where the teachers were 
of a liberal mind. And these vulnerable students listening were hearing the nuance of liberal policy, which was friendly to abortion and hostile towards anyone who would voice against abortion. No wonder you know, that we have ourselves in the generation we see where individuals who claim to be Christians advocate for abortion and persecute those who speak and refute abortion. Anyway, the biblical perspective. For those who are convinced that the evidence is decisive concerning the ex existence of God and the supernatural origin of the Bible, what the Bible says on any subject is of paramount importance. Before anyone dismisses the Bible as an uninspired human production, surely, fair, uh, surely fairness demands that the evidence be examined before any premature dismissal. The fact is the evidence is prolific and decisive. An honest appraisal of this evidence will establish the divine origin of the Bible, making a person ready to ascertain God's will on any matter of ultimate spiritual significance. God creates the human spirit. While the Bible does not speak directly to the practice of abortion, it does provide enough relevant material to enable us to know God's will on the matter. The Bible teaches that each human being possesses a spirit. This spirit is what makes each person a unique personality with a mind that transcends the animal kingdom. At death, this spirit slash mind is separated from the body and enters the spirit realm, Hades, to await the judgment. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, God is said not only to be the creator of the heavens and the earth, but also the one who, quote, forms the spirit of man within him. Of course, he is the giver of life, Acts chapter 17, verse 25. That fact also makes human life sacred. Sacred. God is responsible for implanting the human spirit within the human body. The insolment at conception, right? We humans have no right to end human life unless God authorizes us to do so under conditions stipulated by him. Hebrews 10.30 Biblically, the authorized taking of human life is based on that human's sinful behavior. Taking the life of an unborn infant certainly is not based upon the moral conduct of that infant. So if God places the human spirit in a human being while that person is in the mother's womb, to end that life is a deliberate attempt to countermand God's action of, quote, forming the spirit of man in him. In the womb. But when does the human spirit enter the human body and thereby bring into existence a human being? When does God implant the soul into the body? At birth or prior to birth? The Bible provides abundant evidence to answer these questions. For example, the Bible states, quote, As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Ecclesiastes 11.5 In this passage, Solomon equated fetal development with the activity of God. The human spirit is implanted in the body while still in the womb. Job described the same process with even more specificity in Job 10 verses 9 through 12. There he attributed his pre-birth growth to God, quoting, Remember, I pray, 
that you have made me like clay. And will you turn me into the dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and favor and you care and your care has preserved my spirit. Observe that Job was describing the formation slash development of his pre-born body, not his spirit. His spirit is represented by his use of the term me. His spirit slash personality slash mind, what made him me, was in existence as his body was being formed. David described the formation of his body prior to birth similarly. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it says, For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Isn't that fascinating? David insisted that his development as a human being, his personhood, was achieved by God prior to his birth. While he was yet in his mother's womb, he also said to God, quote, By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. Psalm 71.6 Again, observe that David's use of, quote, me refers to his humanity and personhood prior to his birth. No wonder Naomi spoke to Ruth about the impossibility of any further, quote, sons in my womb, Ruth chapter 1, verse 11. Some have suggested that Ecclesiastes, Job, and Psalms are all books of poetry and therefore not to be taken literally. However, poetic language has meaning. Solomon, Job, and David were clearly attributing their pre-birth personhood to the creative activity of God. They were, in fact, human beings while their bodies were being fashioned. Of course, any additional passages that make the same point are not couched in poetic imagery. Jeremiah declared, quote, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Compare this statement with Paul's equivalent claim in which he said that God set him apart to do his apostolic ministry even while he was in his mother's womb. Galatians 1.15 Isaiah made the same declaration, quote, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother he has made mention of my name. Isaiah 49, verse 1. At conception, 
These passages do not teach predestination. Jeremiah, Paul, and Isaiah could have exercised their free will and rejected God's desires for their lives, in which case God would have found someone else to do the job. Compare, of course, to Esther chapter 4, verse 14. But these and many other passages do teach that God treats people as human beings even before they are born. These passages show that a pre-born infant is a person, a human being. There is no moral difference between a human baby one minute before birth and that same human baby one minute after birth. And that status as a human being applies to a person throughout his or her prenatal development from the moment of conception. No wonder the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, quote, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Genesis chapter 16, verse 11. Throughout history, pregnant women have been considered to have child, a child within them, not a blob of flesh or a, a lifeless, non-human fetus, quote-unquote fetus. That is why Job could uh, bemoan, quote, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. Job 3.3. The underlying word translated, quote, a male child, refers to a human being. The term, quote, conceived in the original means to conceive, become pregnant with child. Job viewed conception to be the temporal commencement of a human being. Conception is the moment a human being begins existence. The science agrees, of course. What about Elizabeth and Mary? Consider further the recorded visit that Mary, the mother of Jesus, made to Elizabeth, the mother of John the baptizer. Both women were pregnant at that time. Both were with child. Quoting now from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 44, it says, Now many arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, quote, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sir, sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And that's something. Notice that Elizabeth's pre-born baby is being represented as a living human being. In fact, the term, quote, baby used in verses 41 and 44 to refer to the pre-born John is the exact same term that is used in the very next chapter to refer to Jesus after his birth as he lay in the manger. Luke chapter 2, verses 12 and verse 16. So in God's sight, whether a person is in his or her pre-birth development state 
or in a post-birth development state, that person is still a baby. In Luke chapter 1, verse 36, John the baptizer is referred to as, quote, a son. From the very moment of conception, Indeed, all three phases of human life are listed in reverse order in Hosea chapter 9, verse 11. Birth, pregnancy, and conception. If abortion is not wrong, Mary would have been within her moral and spiritual rights to abort the baby Jesus, the divine Son of God. Someone may say, quote, but that's different, since God had a special plan for that child. But the Bible teaches that God has special plans for every human being. Every single human life is precious to God, so much so that a single soul is more significant than everything else that is physical in the world. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. God sacrificed His own Son for every single human being on an individual basis. Each human life is equally valuable to God. The unrealized and incomprehensible potential for achieving great things by millions of human beings has been forever expunged by abortion. The remarkably resourceful potential of even one of those tiny human minds, now extinguished, may well have included a cure for cancer or some other horrible, debilitating, and deadly disease. What about Exodus chapter 21? Another insightful passage from the Old Testament is found in Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. This passage describes what action is to be taken in case of, presumably, accidental injury to a pregnant woman, a woman with child. Quoting now from the text, If men fight and hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no lasting harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any lasting harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This passage has been mistranslated in some versions, of course. For example, some versions use the word, quote, miscarriage, instead of translating the Hebrew phrase literally, quote, so that her children come out. The text is envisioning a situation in which two brawling men accidentally injure a pregnant bystander. The injury causes the woman to go into early labor, resulting in a premature birth of her child. If neither the woman nor the child is harmed, then the law of Moses levied a fine against the one who caused the premature birth. But if injury or even death resulted from the brawl, then the law imposed a parallel punishment. If the premature baby died, the one who caused the premature birth was to be executed. Life for life. This passage clearly considers the preborn infant at any stage of development to be a human being, thus implying life beginning at conception. To cause a preborn infant's death was homicide under the Old Testament, homicide punishable by death. Notice that this regulation under the law of Moses included injury inflicted accidentally. 
Abortion is a deliberate, purposeful termination of a child's life. If God dealt severely with the accidental death of a preborn infant, how do you suppose he feels about the deliberate murder of the unborn by an abortion doctor? The Bible states explicitly how he feels, quote, Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. Exodus 23.7 As a matter of fact, one of the things that God hates is, quote, hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 6, verse 17. How marvelous it would be if those who are supportive of abortion would adopt the attitude Joseph, uh, Joseph manifested toward his brothers who feared his retribution. Quote, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. Oh, I misquoted that. Quote, do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Those who participate in the taking of preborn life are presuming to play God. Really. Sad, isn't it? It's my body. We hear that quite often, right? My body, my choice, health care, you know, a woman's right, all that kind of stuff. Here we have, it's my body. This article, if you seek to read it on your own time and dime, you can do so over at apologeticspress.org, the title being Abortion and the Bible, written by our brother Dave Miller. It's my body. We hear that all the time. A common claim that has resonated with many ever since the initial discussion of the abortion question commenced in the 1960s, culminating, of course, in Roe v. Wade in 1973, states, quote, but it's my body. No one has the right to dictate to me what I can or cannot do with my own body, end quote. Apart from the fact that this claim is not true, it begs the question that is, that it begs the question, that is, it assumes the life growing in the womb is not a separate and distinct body slash person. Though this article is confined to the matter of what the Bible says on the subject of abortion, the advancement of science in recent years have verified that preborn infants are living beings. Though they are dependent on their mother for survival, even as post-birth children are, they possess a host of characteristics and attributes that demonstrate their independent existence. While the preborn infant's body is in a state of growth, even as the body continues to grow for many years after birth, the child possesses a body from the moment of conception, again, composed of the collective DNA of both parents. The science of, quote, fetology demonstrates that the preborn child possesses many indicators of human life. The human body comes into existence the moment the DNA of both parents combines. From that moment forward, the human body is intact, merely in a state of development that continues after birth and throughout one's lifetime until death. Nothing more is added to the parent's DNA, only growth, replication, and expansion. Hence, no woman can legitimately claim the right to terminate her unborn baby on the grounds that her body is her own. The unborn baby has his slash her body as well, a separate and distinct body within another body. Though not yet able to speak for himself, the owner of that body has as much right to preserve it. 
What's more, the male contributor of DNA to form the body within a woman has as much right to defend and protect the baby's body as does the woman carrying that baby. The man, as the woman, have contributed equally to the formation of the baby's body. Consequently, the woman who becomes pregnant is under obligation to preserve the body, the person, within her until that person exists, uh, sorry, exit, exits her body naturally. What's more, a pregnant woman can die while the child living within her continues to live. If medical personnel act quickly, the deceased mother's body can be placed on life support, which allows oxygen to continue to reach the child, enabling the child to survive indefinitely. This fact proves that an unborn child is a separate person from the mother, possessing his or her own body. What about the spirit and the body? The spirit and the body. Observe how the Bible clarifies the matter of the personhood of the preborn infant, specifically whether such a child is in possession of his or her spirit. In this discussion of the active nature of saving faith, the supernaturally guided writer James stated emphatically, quote, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James chapter 2, verse 26. This passage plainly pinpoints when the death of the body occurs, the moment the spirit departs the body. As long as the spirit still resides within the body, the body is alive. That's why sometimes you hear of an individual, they might say, oh, he was dead on the table for two, three, four, five minutes, whatever, how many minutes, and he came back to life. No, he never lost that spirit. It's once you lose the spirit, the soul, that departs, then life is extinguished. As long as the spirit still res res uh, resides within the body, the body is alive. Further, Solomon explained, quote, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. End quote. Solomon's allusion to the creation of the first human body by God was achieved using the physical substance of dirt. Genesis 2.7 The buried bodies of all deceased human beings literally returned to the dust. Hence, the human body is purely the receptacle given by God to, quote, house the spirit. With these realities in mind, follow the logic in the following two syllogisms. Number one, if God gives each person his or her spirit, and number two, if he takes the spirit back upon the earth, uh, uh, sorry, and number two, if he takes the spirit back upon the death of the body, then number three, God places the spirit in the body the moment the body is alive. Number one, if the body of pre a preborn person is alive, and number two, if the body without the spirit is dead, James 2.26, then three, the, the pre-born body possesses a spirit and is thus fully human. See the logic? Now we move on to inconsistency and moral insanity. When one contemplates God's view of the unborn child and compares that view with what is happening in society, one surely is astounded and appalled. For example, women have been indicted, uh, in, indicted. Uh, my French is getting in the way of my English, uh, 
English reading here. For example, women have been indicted and convicted of the murder of their own children when those children have been just a few months old. The news media nationwide and and society in general have been, quote, quote, up in arms and outraged at the unconscionable behavior of a mother who has so harmed her young child as to result in death. Most Americans have been incensed that a mother could have so little regard for the life of her own child and advocate taking away the child from the mother. Yet the same society and the same news media that are outraged at such behavior would have been perfectly content for the same mother to have murdered the same children if she had simply chosen to do so a few minutes or a few weeks before those children were actually born. You understand, right? The world is up in arms when a child is removed from her mother. They throw a fit, but yet they would not have at all caused any offense if that same mother would have murdered her child just a few weeks earlier. It's crazy. Such is the insanity of a civilization that has become estranged from a righteous God. Up becomes down, down becomes up, right becomes left, left becomes right. Consider the following terribly tragic inconsistency and incongruity that exists in this country. Merely taking possession of an egg containing the pre-born American bald eagle, let alone if one were to destroy that little pre-birth environment and thus destroy the baby eagle that is developing within, results in a stiff fine and even prison time. Yet one can take a human child in its pre-born environment and not only murder that child, but also receive government blessing to do so. Eagle eggs, in other words, pre-born eagles, are of greater value to American civilization than pre-born humans. Jesus' view is exactly the opposite. Quote, of how much more value are you than the birds? Luke chapter 12, verse 24. I mean, we've lost our minds. The ethical disharmony and moral confusion that reign in our society has have escalated the activity of criminals who commit a variety of heinous crimes, killing large numbers of people, raping women, and doing all sorts of terrible things. Yet, a sizable portion of society is against capital punishment. Many people feel that these wicked adults who have engaged in heinous, destructive conduct should not be executed, a viewpoint that flies directly in the face of what the Bible teaches, of course, in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 6, and 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and 14. God wants evildoers in society to be punished, even to the point of capital punishment. Yet, we will not execute guilty, hardened criminals, while we will execute innocent human babies. How can one possibly justify this terrible disparity and the horrible scourge scourge of abortion. I mean, you can't... It Make it make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't because it comes from a fallen, godless mind. There's no question that abortion is a serious matter with God. We absolutely must base our views on God's will, not the will of men. 
Remember, men think men can get pregnant in our current culture. You want to trust people who think men can be with child and give birth? These are the same people that are telling you we're all going to die of climate change, by the way. These are the people you want to trust just because they title themselves as science and medicine and... No. The very heart and soul of this great nation is being... Ex uh, uh, I don't know what that word is. Excised? Excised? E-X-C-I-S-E-D. Excised by unethical behaviors like abortion. In the words of former United States Court of Appeals judge Robert Bork, quote, the systematic killing of unborn children in huge numbers is part of a general disregard for human life. Abortion has coarsened us, end quote. We must return to the Bible as our standard of behavior before it's too late. After all, the God of the Bible has been known to rain down his wrath on cities and nations who, whose dis, uh, descent into depravity merited such a response. Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 19, verse 24, Jeremiah 5, 9, 29, chapter 9, verse 9. Ronald Reagan was right when he stated, quote, We cannot survive as a free nation when some men decide that others are not fit to live and should be abandoned to abortion or infanticide. End quote. When the Israelites began practicing false religion, which included sacrificing their children to false gods, God was incensed and declared, quote, They have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal. Which, which I do not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind, end quote. That's Jeremiah 19, verses 4 and 5. You can compare that to chapter 32, verse 35. God declared shedding the innocent blood of their children meant, quote, the land was polluted with blood. Psalm 106, verse 37 through 39. God even considers children to be his Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 20 and 21, Psalm 127, verse 3. Indeed, the killing of the innocent unborn surely ranks as one of, if not the, premier moral issue that may bring God's wrath upon the nation. Statistics reveal that over a quarter, one-fourth of the potential of African-American population is aborted each year. If a person would never vote for a political candidate that supports sinful slavery, why would a person vote for a political candidate that supports killing one-fourth of, of the African-American population? End quote. When the Allies during World War II managed to advance on the Germans, pushing them back into Germany, American soldiers happened upon the concentration camps and witnessed firsthand Hitler's, quote, final solution for the Jews. As reports and pictures became available to the public, the world was horrified. Some six million Jews had been ruthlessly murdered in multiple death camps. The civilized world was stunned and incred... Here's another word I'm not going to be able to pronounce. The civilized world was stunned and incredulous, incredulous, incredulous at the brutality and inhumanity perpetuated, perpetrated, sorry, perpetrated by the Nazis. Think of it. 
Six million men, women, and children. And yet since 1973, when abortion was legalized in America, the number of preborn infants that have been ruthlessly ripped from the wombs of their mothers have now surpassed 63 million babies. That's recorded numbers. Never mind those that are not recorded. Never mind around the world, including locations like I live in, where there's no law against abortion anytime, anywhere. You can literally allow your baby to die on the table. And many have done that. The magnitude of that number is unfathomable to the human mind. As noted earlier, it is possible that one of those children would have achieved great things that benefited all humanity. When God confronted Cain for murdering his brother, Cain lied by feigning innocence, right? Quote, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4.9. God's response to such flippancy is haunting. Quote, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. End quote. That's verse 10. Whatever God intended to convey by his allusion to the sound of Abel's blood, if God heard the sound of that innocent blood crying from the soil upon which Cain shed it, imagine what it sounds like to God to hear the blood of 63 million plus shrieking babies. One of the reasons given by God for sending Judah into captivity was the shedding of innocent blood that filled Jerusalem, quote, which the Lord would not pardon, 2 Kings 24, 4. So in conclusion, the ultimate solution to every moral issue is genuine New Testament Christianity and the objective, absolute standard of the Bible. That's always the solution. Men have created Christianity in their own image, and in their own image allow their own sinful fleshly desires to drive the agenda. We don't want that. Let us be de uh, 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 um, what's the word? Let us be disenfranchised with men who have created Christianity in their own image, and let us go back to the image of Christianity revealed in the Bible. If all people would organize their lives around the precepts and principles presented in the Bible, civilization would be in good shape. And one says, well, we don't know that. Well, of course we do. We saw it, and it allowed us to live in a free country for centuries. We saw the fruits of living Christian principalities, Christian lifestyle. We saw the fruits of it. Male, female, husband, wife, children. We saw the fruits that came, the land of milk and honey, the freedom that allowed us to be neighborly. Now that's all being taken away. So yeah, we certainly do have a model of what a nation who follows the principles of Christianity looks like. That's what makes a nation to be the greatest nation above all other nations who reject Christianity. But now America and Canada look just like the rest of the world. A fallen, godless, heathen, violent entourage and landscape. Christianity. There is no other suitable alternative out there. There really isn't. Christianity is the path we must take to cure, to heal. There is simply no other way to live life cohesively.
with focus, with perspective, with direction, and with the proper sense of the purpose of life. Consider this final observation. If the God of the Bible exists, and if the Bible is his inspired word, the only book on the planet that is of a supernatural origin, by the way, then all human beings are accountable to him for their behavior on earth. It just is what it is, which is why the world doesn't want to accept that. Indeed, existence on earth is specifically designed by God to be the, quote, probationary period, during which time all human beings of accountable age and mind decide their eternal destiny. Consequently, all human beings will one day stand at the judgment before their Creator and give account for their decisions while on earth. Quote, for we must all appeal before we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5:10. Consider this sobering scene. Quoting When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, quote, Come, you blessed of my father." Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, quote, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. You can also see Hebrews 9, 27, and Ecclesiastes 12, 14. How we conduct ourselves in this world will determine where we spend eternity. May God help us to conform to His will regarding the matter of abortion. The Bible is clear when we are honest and submissive to the information of its inspired pen. There's just no way around that. There's just no way around that. You have to be agenda-driven by the world's view to reject the information of the scriptures. Now, you can deny the scriptures and say, well, I just don't believe the Bible. Fine. But at the very least, be honest enough to say that the Bible is against abortion. See, I'd have more respect for you that way. I, as a heathen in my past life for decades, at the very least, I didn't believe the Bible. I, for a time, even entertained the fact that there is no God. But one thing I did know, the Bible was not okay with abortion. You don't want to believe the Bible? Well, then don't believe the Bible. But at the very least, admit that the book you don't believe in speaks against abortion. It just does. There's no way around that. You'd have to be intellectually dishonest, at the very least. We need to understand this information. It needs to be taught to our youth, to our children, so that the next generation 
can grow and protect the vulnerability of the innocents, the innocent. I was pro-choice. I was pro-abortion. I was for abortion for decades. One, out of ignorance, I really didn't know what it was all about. And number two, because I was in the world, doing what the world does. And the world, well, it has a, it has winds that go left and right, all kinds of ups and downs, <clears throat> and I just follow the wave. Well, since being educated, since reading the scriptures, since looking into science, since looking into history, since all these things throughout the decade plus now, I've come to understand exactly what abortion is, what it looks like, and what it does. And this nation has fallen because we shed innocent blood in record numbers. Is the um, reversal to Roe v. Wade a good thing? Well, it certainly is. It's a step towards the right way, but is it too late, too little too late? Maybe. Maybe, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. We got to remain faithful. Anywho, that concludes the topical session for our Thursday slot here on the AddedSouls.com podcast, the early, mer- uh, the early bird podcast sessions. Um, you know, we have to speak out. We have to speak about these things. You can find the article I read to you over at ApologeticsPress.org titled Abortion and the Bible. Uh, I myself have written a great number of sermons and studies and articles. I've spoken on this. I've taught on this numerous times throughout the decade plus. And uh, we Christians need to stand strong against abortion. It's important. It really is. Can't allow this to continue. We've got to fight. And my friends in America, you still have the right to fight. Over here, it's considered hate speech now to speak against abortion. (laughs) It's crazy. But anyways, so I think that's about it. I appreciate your kind attendance. I do hope you have a blessed day. Please consider subscribing, following, liking, sharing, commenting, all that kind of good stuff on this uh, channel. And uh, please consider supporting. That's the only way I get to come sit down at the office and do this work is by your love and your understanding of the value of the the substance of content that's being produced. And uh, when you support us monetarily, we get to eat food. And when we get to eat food, we get to do this kind of work. So please consider doing that. There are options in the show notes. You can also send me an email if you seek an address, a hard address to mail something. Uh, You are loved. You have purpose. Stay focused. Stay positive. Lord willing, tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. See you then. God bless.